Hello and welcome to this week's Amnesty Radio Show with me, Ella. And me, Nesta. This week, as per usual, we'll be talking about a variety of issues. Um, after the last show, when Jake and I um, ran out of time to talk about two of our issues, we, we will be covering them today. Um, that's Egypt and Belarus. And we'll also be talking about the situation in Iraq. Okay, so we're going to start by talking a bit about Iraq. Um, Amnesty International has gathered evidence pointing to a pattern of extrajudicial executions of detainees by government forces in the city of Talasaf, Musul and Bakaba. So um, not only have these been carried out by government forces but also Shia militias um, in Iraq and surviving detainees and relatives of those killed um, have given graphic accounts that suggest Iraqi forces had carried out a series of vengeful attacks against Sunni detainees before withdrawing from Talafar and Musuf in northern Iraq. Um, both of these places are now controlled by the Islamic State in Iraq and Al-Sham, um, which in the news is uh, refer often referred to as ISIS. In Bakaba, central Iraq, government forces and Shia militias have been fending off attempts by ISIS to capture the city. Amnesty International Senior Crisis Response Advisor Donatella Rivera um, released a statement saying reports of multiple incidents where Sunni detainees have been killed in cold blood while in the custody of Iraqi forces are deeply alarming. These killings suggest a, horrif um, a horrifying, worrying pattern of reprisal attacks against Sunnis in retaliation for ISIS gains. Survivors and relatives of the victims told Amnesty International that around 50 Sunni detainees were extrajudicially executed in the building of the anti-terrorism agency in Talafar on the night of the 15th of June. And if you look on the Amnesty website, they have um, a personal account of a survivor who narrowly escaped the attack and described how four soldiers um, opened the door of the room where he was being held and began like shouting and we have another story about a woman a woman who was who describes the horrific state of the body of her cousin's son um, so Amnesty has got quite a lot of personal stories that are quite moving and very graphic to read about um, so that is yeah worth having a look at on the website um, in a separate incident in Mosul Several Sunni detainees were killed in the anti-terrorism agency in Hayal Danadan district and a, a survivor said that on the 9th of June soldiers came into the cell, took away 13 of the 82 detainees and they heard gunshots. Obviously this is um, extremely traumatic for mm. the detainees and I think this is uh, as um, Amnesty's crisis response reporter said it's it's very worrying pattern to see mm. these sorts of reprisals being carried out um sort of perpetuating yeah the the situation of violence well amnesty um is calling on isis as well as all armed groups and forces on all sides of the conflict to end the summary killings and torture of detainees as well as the deliberate and indiscriminate attacks on civilians all of which account, um, account to war crimes and must be prosecuted under international law. Um, Donatella Rivera said, those among the warring parties in Iraq who are committing war crimes should know that the impunity they currently enjoy won't last forever 
and that they may one day be held accountable for their crimes. Um, so yeah, read up on this um, on the Amnesty website and you can also follow Amnesty's Twitter feed, that's hashtag Iraq at Amnesty Online. Yeah, Amnesty always have really up-to-date articles about what's happening, so it's really, it's really good to educate yourself about um, these issues. Should we go to our first song? I think so. Okay, so the first song today is Shyness by Thieves Like Us.
Okay, so now we're going to go on to our next issue, which is um, the situation for journalists in Egypt. Um, so, on the 23rd of June, Egypt jailed Al Jazeera English staff Mohammed Fahmy, Peter Grest and Baha Mohammed for simply doing their job as journalists. Mohammed Fahmy and Peter Grest were dealt seven years in prison for broadcasting false news and apparently promoting the banned Muslim Brotherhood group. Baha Mohammed faces 10 years behind bars. His sentence is longer as he has an additional charge of possessing a bullet casing, which he says he picked up as a souvenir. All three were arrested on the 29th of December. Security forces filmed the arrest of Mohammed Fahmy and Peter Grest at the Marriott Hotel in Cairo. The video was later screened on Egyptian television, apparently in an attempt to smear the men. The arrests have sparked an international outcry from media organisations, as well as a statement by the UN High Commissioner for Human Rights, which expressed concern over what it called the systematic targeting of Al Jazeera staff and the wider situation facing journalists and other media workers in Egypt. Peter Grest said, You can't have a free society without a free press. In Egypt today, you know that you can't provide balance as long as you can end up in a prison like us. Both Peter Grest and Mohamed Falmi have written from prison to describe poor conditions of detention. A few days before his arrest, Mohamed Falmi broke his shoulder. The authorities denied him adequate medical treatment and it was only after months of appeals from his family that Mohammed was finally transferred to a public hospital for scans. He could be permanently disabled thanks to the delayed medical treatment and the impact of gruelling prison conditions, including a month's stint in maximum security Scorpion prison. During the same trial, four media students were sentenced to seven years in prison, although the basis of their conviction was unclear. Sahib Saad Mohammed, Khaled Mohammed Abdel Rauf, Ahmed Abdelazim and Khaled Abdel Rahman Mahmoud appeared to have been convicted on charges of terrorism in relation to promoting and assisting the Muslim Brotherhood. They were all arrested on the 31st of December. At their hearing in March, three of them told the judge that the security forces had beaten them during their arrest. The court had previously asked that their allegations be investigated and the men examined by forensic doctors for signs of beating, but it is unclear whether this actually happened. Amnesty are asking for the immediate release of these four men unless Egypt can guarantee that they will be retried fairly. The court in Torah, Egypt, tried a total of 20 people in this case, 11 of them in absentia. Six of the absent group also work for Al Jazeera. British journalists Dominic Kane and Sue Turton and four Egyptian staff based in Qatar were found guilty in absentia of broadcasting false news and either belonging to or assisting the Muslim Brotherhood. The foreign nationals uh, indicted also face an additional charge of possessing banned equipment, apparently in order to falsify the news. Only two of the group of 20 were acquitted. Media students Anas Mohammed al-Baghati and um, Shadi Abdel Hamid had their convictions quashed on the 23rd of June. So the Egyptian government banned political group the Muslim Brotherhood in September 2013. In December, they designated it a terrorist organisation. The Muslim Brotherhood is a political party of Egypt's former president, Mohamed Morsi. Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood came into power following the ousting of President Hosni Mubarak in 2011. Morsi became Egypt's first democratically elected president in 2012. Mass protests and civil unrest against the ruling 
um, elect led to Morsi being overthrown by his army in July 2013, with the head of the Supreme Constitutional Court, a civilian, becoming the interim president. The year that has followed Morsi's expulsion from power has seen a crackdown on all affiliation with and broadcast of the Muslim Brotherhood. <clears throat> this has mistakenly been applied to journalists simply reporting events. Security forces have pressured Al Jazeera and other broadcasters who they believe to support Morsi and the Muslim Brotherhood. Al Jazeera reported a number of incidents where Egyptian security forces arrested its staff or raided its offices last year. The network's Egyptian channel, Al Jazeera, Mabasha Mazir was banned on the 3rd of September 2011, along with three other channels widely seen as supportive of the Muslim Brotherhood. And um, if you want a bit more information on this, you can download the document Urgent Action, Al Jazeera Journalists on Trial in Egypt from the um, Amnesty UK website. And Amnesty are calling on you to add your name to the petition to the Egyptian authorities. Um, it's really simple to do. It's on the front page of the Amnesty UK website. All you have to do is um, just put your name, surname and email and um, then submit it. To, submit it. Um, and uh, we, we really urge you to join the call for the release of the Al Jazeera journalists, uh, the unconditional and immediate release, and also the release or fair retrial of the um, four media students. Mm. Um, obviously, this is a very um, important thing. I think uh, free press is yeah. uh, crucial, and particularly a big organisation like Al Jazeera, who are um, respected all over the world for their news coverage. Mm. It's yeah, um, very worrying to see them yeah. being targeted in this way. As Amnesty said, they were simply doing their their job and, you know, to to then be detained for this um, unfairly seems... It's, it's an awful thing to have happen. It's just, like, your basic human rights are being violated. Absolutely, and even the, um, the other Al Jazeera journalists who weren't in the region at the time... Mm have been sentenced in the court in their absence so it makes it even harder for Al Jazeera to get any sort of reports from the region mm. um, you know and of course more this will make it more difficult for uh, other press organizations mm. to act in the region as well when one organization starts being targeted it seems like it's a short leap to start mm. targeting others who just have broadcast any news that the government yeah. don't don't want. Mm. It's a bit worrying when the government have the entire control of the media when the media is where most people get most in, of their information from. If this is, you know, if that's in com complete control politically, that's extremely worrying. And obviously the human rights of all of these um, these detainees is is as Amnesty would probably think the of the utmost importance, and that's one of the most important messages that Amnesty tries to get across, rather than the more political aspects. Yeah, certainly. Um, so I think we're going to our next song now. Yep. Um, our next song is Seventeen by Youth Lagoon.
Okay, so welcome back. Um, we're moving on to our next uh, case now, which is about the um, situation in Belarus in regards to LGBTI rights. So, Ihar Chikanyuk is a gay man living in Minsk, Belarus, and when he tried to set up a gay rights organisation, the police beat him. When he complained, they said they'd beat him again. Ihar asked authorities to investigate the police brutality against him. They refused. A year and a half later, Ihar is still waiting for justice. He continues to face discrimination day in, day out. So, being anything but heterosexual is dangerous in Belarus. Identify as LGBTI publicly and you can expect to be discriminated against in every step of your daily life. You can't go to the police for protection. In fact, they may come to investigate you of their own accord, harassing you for your sexual orienta orientation and gender identity. Complain about your treatment and your request for justice will fall on deaf ears. That has been the experience of Ihar, an openly gay man. Um, and in fact, on the Amnesty website, there's a short video that you can watch which really um, displays Ihar's story. Um, Ihar was in hospital for critical treatment for a stomach ulcer and police officers turned up to the hospital ward and escorted him to a police station. At the station, they asked him personal questions. When Ihar didn't answer, they beat him. When he did answer, they beat him regardless. The director of the ward on which Ihar was being treated phoned the police station and demanded that he was sent back to the hospital. The police officers drove Ihar, bruised and beaten, back. Um, so why were the police investigating Ahar? Well, he's part of the LGBTI group Human Rights Centre um, that has recently tried to register as an official organisation with Belarus's Ministry of Justice, as they're required to do so by law. Soon after, members of police force paid visit to the group's founding members, including Ahar. Um, there is still not a single organisation that represents and protects LGBTI rights in Belarus, so alongside Human Rights Centre Lambda, there, there are others. Um, the authorities uh, denied the registration while intimidating the group's members and associates. Ihar told Amnesty that when he asked for investigation into his treatment by Minsk's um, police force, they outright refused to investigate the allegations. The chief of criminal investigation said that gay people shouldn't should be slaughtered like cattle. To date, the authorities have continued to refuse Ihar justice. By writing to the authorities responsible, you can help let them know that Ihar's case is famous and around the world there are people standing by his side. Ihar said that the attack left him humiliated and empty, but he also told Amnesty that he gets his strength from knowing that people around the world know about his case and the situation around LGBT rights in Belarus. When you email on Ihar's behalf, he says, I will feel supported. Uh, it will give me the strength to fight and go forward. So Amnesty is really calling on the authorities to investigate Ihar's abuse, hold those responsible to account, and work to put an end to persecution based on sexual orientation and gender identity in Belarus. So um, please take action on this. Um, Amnesty are calling for 15,000 actions mm. to be taken so far. Um, amazingly, 12,000 have been taken. That's yeah, that's a really great, yeah. and um, I'm sure um, making an impact in Belarus. Mm. And 
having a really positive um, impact on IHA. Yeah, for who? and obviously LGBTI rights are, are so important worldwide, worldwide to protect because they're one of the most persecuted communities um, and it's really important that um, we, we always keep up to date on these stories and we are always protecting those involved and um, seeing that large numbers of people um, can protect and they will and they will stand up for these sort of rights is really important I think personally um, yeah so it was really nice to hear some of Ihar's personal um, comments on that as well yeah I think so and definitely worth watching the video mm. on the website probably you can also access it through YouTube okay so I think there's just um, one more amnesty news story that we would like to um, talk about today and this is uh, a very new story that's um, come out. It's an article about families being ripped apart as Palestinian refugees from Syria are denied entry to Lebanon. Palestinian refugees from Syria, including pregnant women, children, women with infants, have been denied entry into Lebanon due to tightened border restrictions. The uh, briefing published by Amnesty on the 1st of July, titled Denied Refuge, Palestinians from Syria Seeking Safety in Lebanon, highlights the desperate plight of families from torn apart after falling foul of fluctuating border rules while trying to cross into Lebanon. In one of the most shocking cases, a mother with a newborn baby was barred from entering Lebanon when she tried to join her husband and other five children. The Head of Refuge and Migrants' Rights at Amnesty International said that by denying entry to a mother and her newborn child, among others, the Lebanese authorities have displayed a chilling disregard for the rights of refugees who are fleeing a bloody conflict. Absolutely no one seeking refuge from a conflict should be denied entry. By doing so, Lebanon is flouting its obligations under international law. Amnesty's research also found evidence of a policy to deny Palestinian refugees from Syria entry into Lebanon altogether, regardless of whether they meet the new conditions of entry. This evidence includes a leaked document, apparently from the security services, instructing airlines using the main Beirut airport not to transport any traveller who is a Palestinian refugee from Syria to Lebanon, regardless of the documents they may hold. The Lebanese authorities must immediately end the blatantly discriminatory policies towards the Palestinian refugees arriving from Syria. While the influx of refugees has placed an immense strain on Lebanon's resources, there is no excuse for abandoning Palestinian refugees who are seeking safety in Lebanon. Um, that was said in a statement by the Head of Refugee and Migrants' Rights at Amnesty. So, I think... Um, while it is clear that there's been a huge strain placed on Lebanon, mm. um, it's very worrying to see such discriminatory policies being put into effect. And you can read um, some accounts of personal mm. cases on the Amnesty website. Um, obviously, try and follow this issue as it goes. Um, it's a horrible situation to be in I'm sure being a refugee and I think that the uh, stance that Lebanon are taking are really it's it's part of a sort of worldwide movement mm. away from 
accepting refugees part of the idea of closing your borders and um, I think probably the international community could be giving a bit more support, support to Lebanon yeah. um, obviously they are on the border with Syria and there have been millions of refugees mm. fleeing but um, to separate families is quite horrific yeah and can only make worse what's been a terrible, terrible, uh, destructive situation for them in their lives already. So um, thank you for listening today, and we'll be back next week um, to keep you up to date yep. with the news. Goodbye. Bye.